Inappropriate Earl is back, number two on iTunes Comedy at the moment. And there's very few guests who could get me to number one. But Wow. Number have, two, huh? Number two right now. Congratulations. I, I don't know. Uh, Who's number one? Uh, uh, Rogan. No one's yeah. beating Rogan. Yeah, but you're number two, though. That's pretty good. That's That's, like, really good, right? For me, it is. Isn't that good for, like... Like, like everybody except for like like i mean like that's number two right like there's millions of podcasts it's number two in itunes comedy uh-huh okay probably overall it's i think uh as of yesterday it was number 20 overall wow that's, that's still i mean aren't there like one million podcasts there's probably more but folks you're like who's earl talking to you know the voice you love him this guy started it all on youtube was a trailblazer for all the jackass videos, all the online videos. There was no YouTube when I started, though. It was not to interrupt, but D please. There was no YouTube when I started. Right? Tom Green, yeah. put your hands Thank in. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, Thank I was, you. I was, I was pre YouTube. Pre YouTube, I started my show doing all the gorilla pranks and stunts on the street back in 1994. Uh, probably like uh, almost. Uh, Whew, like you know 10 years before youtube existed 11 years before so so but would you say you inspired our um i've been i've been posting a lot of my old clips on instagram uh just in the last few days i kind of got back into it sometimes i like to go into the archives of my old pranks and videos that i shot for the tom green show and uh and i just sort of having fun on my computer and posting them up on uh, Instagram. So, and on Facebook and on Twitter. So I just posted the video where I shot in 1996. Uh, today, actually this morning where I'm out on the street with casts on my arms and legs and I've got crutches on and I'm falling and people are helping me and it's confusing everybody. And uh, yeah, it was, it's, it's fun. It's fun because... There's a, there is some nostalgia there because the show aired on MTV in 1999 and you've got, you know, people now ser ser seeing them again in one minute clips on Instagram. And uh, it's 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 kind of I think it's fun for people because they remember the old show. But in a way, the videos are kind of brand new again because I'm taking them and I'm I'm kind of re-editing them for Instagram. So I'm taking a bit that was like a minute and 30 seconds long on the TV show or two minutes long. And I'm going through and I'm cutting all my favorite parts into a one minute Instagram clip. So it's almost like new material. Now, who, what got you into wanting to make those videos? Like did someone, like my comedy mentor was Archie Bunker. Yeah. I was like, I want to do comedy like yeah, he that. didn't do uh, gorilla man on the street videos. They would have been good if he did. He hardly got off the couch, that guy. But, you know, he was like, he was saying crazy things, but was likable. Yes, yes. Yeah. So I was like, I like that style. Yeah. Uh, was there someone who you looked at and go, I want to do what they're doing? Definitely David Letterman, for sure. And a lot of the man on the street stuff came from his out on the street stuff. It was inspired by that. And skateboarding videos. So watching, you know, Paul Peralta you know, future primitive animal chin skateboarding videos. The The video style came from skateboarding videos, like the shooting style of the videos and, uh, and the comedic sort of, you know, 
you know, I was definitely trying to replicate Letterman when I was a kid. You know, I, I took it to kind of a weirder place, but like I was, I loved the talk show. I lo- remember late night with David Letterman back in the eighties was the only time there was really anything really kind of weird and live on TV, live to tape, but live, you know, there was SCTV, there was Monty Python, but David Letterman was like a guy that was like a, a real guy who was doing weird stuff. So that was, that was like really exciting for me. And he would go on the street and do things like kind of like what I was doing on the, on the, the TV show. So, but, uh, the skateboarding influence was get your own video camera. You know, it's not NBC's crew, you know, let right. Letterman's gone out with a real TV show. Skateboard video wasn't even a real TV show, to, real TV show. So it was like, get your own, own shit, your own camera and just go make your own crazy thing. And I was kind of trying to do sort of a warped out, messed up version of Letterman. We said that we always said the show was like David Letterman on crack, even though I don't smoke crack. But I imagine if I did smoke crack, it would be kind of like what we were doing. Well, a lot of people are always trying to get me to smoke weed. Yeah. I've never had anything. Yeah, that's cool. No alcohol? Never had a drink. That's cool. You're one of those guys, huh? Well, my mom bribed me. Yeah, that's cool. So uh, I had that too. My dad told me when I was a teenager, he said, if you don't smoke a cigarette before you're 21 years old, I will give you $400. And he wrote it out on a, a contract. And I kept that contract. Uh, like I kept it until I was 21 and I cashed in and I didn't smoke till I was 21. I do occasionally smoke cigarettes now, which I feel ashamed of. And I, uh, I, I plan on quitting that. You should, Tom. Yeah. Cause as a they- cancer survivor, I, uh, probably shouldn't be smoking, but I get, I get angry, you know, at the fact that, uh, there's sort of rules, you know, like, Oh, you smoke, you get cancer. Well, I didn't smoke and I got cancer. So how about maybe I'll smoke then? Right. I mean, it's like I know. an F you to cancer. I got cancer without even smoking. Well, guess what? No, I am going to smoke. But you survived. I survived. That's true. Yeah, it's true. But it was it was a it was a nightmare regardless. So does that empower you to know that you beat it? Sure. Yeah, it's, it's good. If I hadn't beat it, it definitely would not be empowering. I probably wouldn't even be thinking about it. Right. But uh, yeah, no, it is very empowering. Uh, uh, empowering. Let's see. I don't know if. But I mean, like when you're, I don't know if empowering is the word I, I would normally use, but it maybe it is empowering. What is it? Is it is it's uh, it, it does give me sort of a renewed sense of gratitude, uh, and uh, you know, you know, you know, you know. People always say, "Oh, you know, make sure you live every day, you know, like it's uh, your last, and you know, and be positive and all that kind of crap." But it kind of is true a little bit, you know, because you know when when you've got like when I had my surgery, like not the testicular surgery. They took my right testicle. I still have the left one. It's the middle one now, but I, I, uh, um, they, they also did a lymph node dissection where they cut my like, you know, body open and removed like lymph nodes off the back of my spine. And they had to take my full intestines out and put them on the table and, you know, set them there for a minute and then put them back and sew me all back up. That was when I woke up from that, that was the most painful thing that for, for, not only I wouldn't even say like for for like for three or four days it was like the most extreme pain that I've ever imagined even possible like your entire body is burning on the inside it's like they took it's like they took your 
hollowed your body out, shoveled coal, hot coals into your body and then sewed you back up. And then they're just like burning in there. Right. Even so it was horrible. Right. Screaming, screaming in pain for like three days, like literally screaming, not sleeping. The worst thing, not trying to bring the mood down here, but I'm just saying. So then, then, then after that, like, you know, months go by where you're kind of feeling still in a lot of pain, but you're like grateful that the pain is not as bad as it was during those three days. And then like the next five years, you're in sort of like mild to moderate pain, but you're grateful that the pain's not as bad as it was for the month or two after the surgery or the three days after the surgery. And then for the next 10 years, you're kind of in like sort of a dull sort of aching exhaustion kind of feeling, but you're like, just glad that you're not in as much pain as you were in those five years. And now I'm feeling pretty good now. Actually, the pain's pretty much gone now. After about 15 years, it finally went away. And not to get too personal, but like, do you still have to take like, like specific medicine? Or? No, no medicine, nothing. It's all gone. It's like I've never had it. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah, oh. yeah. Complete, completely. Testicular cancer's completely curable thing. And, uh, you know, if you get it early, you got to get it early though. So if you feel like something's wrong, kids go to the doctor right away. Cause if you don't get it early, uh, you die. I got it early. But, um, did you feel like a sharp, like it was, was there uh, what was this? The, uh, it was like a dull pain in my right testicle, dull pain, not necessarily a lump, but the entire testicle seemed like it was a little bit bigger than it had been. Right. Yeah. So, and it was already pretty big. No, I'm just joking. Oh, I uh, bet. <laughs> I, I've heard. I mean, you know, the rumors are true. No, but um, so you got, you got a big hammer. Yeah. You know, let's, 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 no, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'll say it. You can say it. You can tell everybody. Yeah. So you don't get this kind of stuff on Letterman. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you might. Well, you maybe not, maybe not, maybe not this exact. But you know, I love Letterman. I loved Letterman. I uh, oh, he was. Uh, you know, I, I, I uh, you know, he was. It was the first show that I was really invited on in the United States. The first big TV show. Um. Uh, when the show got picked up, when my show got picked up by MTV, so it was very exciting. But that was back when MTV played videos. Yeah, yeah, they did, but they were kind of getting out of it already. They were kind of getting out of playing music videos already. Because people always say that to me, like, oh, yeah, you were on MTV back when MTV was good. But, like, when I was on MTV, it was sort of like, I don't think that's the time they're referring to when it was good. Right. So I think people think that I was on MTV earlier than I was. Like in the late 80s. Yeah, people think I was on MTV in the 90s, you know? I wasn't on MTV in the 90s. I was on MTV in 1999, one year of the 90s, the, the last year of the 90s. So, so I think people kind of like think I was on there much earlier because I, I know people often say, yeah, you know, back in the day, MTV when it was good. But I was like, I don't think MTV was that good when I was on MTV because uh, I watched the other shows that were on when I was on there. I, I remember we didn't have MTV in Canada. So... Was you have Fuse? We have Much Music. It was called. Oh, right. So I came down to, yeah, I knew what MTV was. I just thought it was like Much Music. And then when we moved to New York and I was on MTV and I started watching MTV, I kind of realized that like it, it was not as good as Much Music, actually, at that time. You know, they had like shows like, no offense to the people making the shows, but like 
road rules and the real world. And I'd watch road rules and I'd think like, this is like the shittiest show ever. Like, I, I don't know why people want to watch this show. Like, I never liked that show. I, it, it just sort of felt like a bunch of the kind of people that would have like, you know, been the people that would have, that I would have not liked to hang out with in high school. Like the sort of the, it was like the cool kids. It was the cool kids going out to spring break to get into a competition. And I would watch that and go like, man, like I don't, I don't relate to these cool kids. You know, I think I was always more of a, uh, you know, anti sort of conformity kind of person, you know? Right. And so MTV was very much like, no, no, let's cater this to the cool people so that the cool people will then go buy the cool music and the cool products. Much music always seemed more like, let's play the music that people don't know about. Right. Like they would play like underground hip hop and, you know, like punk rock music and music that was not being played on mainstream radio. That was always far more interesting to me. I mean, I, I grew up in the prime MTV where like the metal videos. The eighties. Yeah. That, Jovi. See, yeah. See, that was the years people liked. That was 10 years before I was on MTV. And you know, I just, I don't get the shows like the real world. And yeah, now it's like big brother. Yeah. Is it, do you think it's cause they're so cheap to produce from the standpoint of none of those kids are getting paid that much. I think what happened was the internet, you know, really killed off the music videos because you know, we didn't have to, we, we couldn't watch music anywhere other than on MTV in the eighties. Like you couldn't in America, you couldn't go on YouTube and watch music videos. So the only way to see like your favorite band rat or yeah, was to go on MTV and watch the heavy metal show. What was it called? Headbangers Ball with yeah, Ricky Rackman. See, I never saw Headbangers Ball. Never grew. I didn't grow up with that. I I didn't. I because I I it wasn't on. We had uh, the Power Hour on Much Music, hosted by J D Roberts, who's now known as John Roberts, uh, on CBS News. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, it might be on Fox News now. It was, just, but I'll forgive him for that. Well, I mean, that's uh, not to talk politics. Oh, no. I mean, uh, are you very political? We won't talk about it, but... I am pretty political. Yeah, I'm very political, but I don't talk politics too much in my uh, stand-up or uh, in my, uh, in my, you know, I like, I've kind of gotten over it talking about it. I'm not, I'm not in the business of trying to convince people, uh, you know, of how they're supposed to vote, you know? I like, I like making people think about the world differently, but it's just, it's become so painfully uh you know uh almost like formulaic how those arguments play out now you know right like you know everybody knows how they're supposed to argue about health care or gun control or donald trump or hillary clinton like everyone's got like their arguments all set up and all all like in a line and ready to like you know deliver you know they watch the fox news channel all day or they watch cnn all day or they watch you know, listen to NPR all day and they've got their ideas and they're ready to argue. I, I like to like make people think about stuff that they've never even thought about before. Right. Right. That's more interesting to me than getting up on stage and saying, you know, I think healthcare is better in socialized, you know, countries with socialized medicine. It's better. <laughs> and then right. everybody goes, here's why it's not better. 
You know, there's a long waiting list. And then you go, there's not a long waiting list. Sure. And then it, and then the argument just, just is the same every time. You know, I'd rather just know that it's better in Canada with socialized medicine and not say anything, you know, and just, we don't want everybody to know about that anyways, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I got I, dropped I, from my insurance. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's the worst, man. It's the worst not having, having universal health care. And I'm in perfect health. And they were like, yeah. We're going to drop you because you don't use us, basically. Oh, really? So, yeah. So it's, you know, I might move to Canada just to get the good health care. Well, make sure you have health insurance, though. I, I, but but now that I'm 50, they're like, well, you know, you're you're in that tough. Uh, you got to make sure you have something, man, because I tell that to everybody, you know, like if I didn't have health insurance when I when I got cancer, it would have been, uh, you know, $150,000, you know ordeal you know instead it was i was insured so i was i was fine i had good insurance at the time because i was on mtv and i had uh, good health care there so right yeah oh i mean i'm scared i mean uh, like i had a torn acl and and the surgery and the rehab and all that stuff was 25 grand it yeah it's just like wow yeah this is crazy yeah thank god i had it then but yeah you should try to figure out how to get that because you know you're gonna need it more soon we're all getting old we're all gonna die Okay, that's positive. What well, else? What else do you want to talk about? I want to live forever, Tom. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, it was a lot of fun. It's uh, when you would come do the Webo Vision over on uh, my studio in Burbank. We used to have a good time over there. It was an honor to be a guest and guest host. So I built my web studio in my house, doing very much a similar thing to what we're doing right now. Uh, back about ten years ago, I guess a bit more than that. I did this show and. Um, I called it WebOvision and I had cameras and I had microphones and, you know, full TV studio in my living room. That was before we moved it out to, to Burbank into the, into the warehouse. Probably did like, I don't know, thousands of shows, right? Right. Made, made so many good friends. You know, it's where I met you. It's where I met so many of my favorite comedians because uh, I would invite my favorite funny people over and usually they would come and I'd get to know everybody and I've become like great friends with, you know, Andrew Dice Clay, who I'd never met before. I love him. Now we're like great buddies and, and, uh, you know, a lot of my exist, a lot of my friends that I was already friends with, but a lot of new friends too would come do the show. And, um, but I stopped doing it because I started, when I started touring, doing stand up again, you know, I just kind of like would come home from doing stand up so kind of uh, fulfilled, creatively pleased right? that I didn't really feel like I needed to have the TV studio in my living room anymore. And then I also interviewed everybody that, like I asked everybody, okay? Like every single person I asked to come to my show. Has that, do I? Yeah, yeah. I asked every single person that exists in the world of comedy, certainly and probably film and television. I asked every single person that exists, and many, many, many of them said they could come do it, and they all came and did it. And then after a couple of years, I asked every single person again. And then, like, you know, every once in a while, somebody that wasn't able to do it before would come do it, and it would be a surprise. Like, oh, wow, that's cool, you know. This person's coming to do the show, and it was very exciting. And But then, then after doing it for 10 years, I realized... Okay, the people that are coming are people that have done the show already. Right. I had this like roster of, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people who love doing the show. And they'd come to the show and it was this sort of, you know, not a roster, but like a, a guest list of people that would come. 
And then I was realizing I'm asking like a lot of people to do the show every year that just keep not doing it. And then I went through a period of time where I sort of sort of found that hilarious. Like I would be like, oh, you know, I think I'm going to ask like, I'm not going to name names, but, you know, I'm going to go ask like the 10 biggest stars yeah. in the world to do the show again, knowing that they're not going to do it. But I would just ask to kind of be a shit disturber. Like, yeah, yeah, like, ask George Clooney if he'll do the show again. And then you'd, they'd get, you'd get a response, you know, oh, he's unavailable right now. And like once a year, I would, I would ask again, I would ask. And then after about a few years of doing that, I started feeling like maybe I should probably not be doing that. Just asking everybody in Hollywood to come on my web show every year, knowing they're going to say, no, I'm probably annoying people. So then I, I, then I start feeling weird about that. Like, oh, geez, you know, I've asked like these, this person, this guy, this guy, all people that I really like that I really would have loved to interview. But I've asked them five times now. They keep saying no. It's going to be embarrassing, you know, when I run into them at like the Starbucks or something like that. So then I just, I just quit doing it. I also, I also kind of like stopped enjoying interviewing people. Because I realized that like when you interview people, like you don't get to talk as much, right? And and back when I started it, there were no other podcasts. So like that was the only place I had, was my outlet, you know? Right. But now there's a lot of podcasts. Too many. Yeah. So I thought to myself, maybe I'm, this is sort of a new idea, actually. I thought like instead of doing my own podcast, although I do have a podcast. What is it? What is it? And where can people find it? You can go to tomgreen.com. And listen to my podcast. It's on iTunes too. But the difference is I don't interview anyone on my podcast anymore. I just kind of like, if I'm in a cool vintage record store with a buddy who collects records, I'll talk to him about records for a minute. Or if my mom is like, you know, playing the ukulele, I'll talk to her for a bit. Or sometimes I'll just like rant about something myself. And I just record them on a little recording device, a little portable studio. But I don't, I don't in invite people to, to be interviewed anymore. Um, and... What I what I've decided I want to do is I want to go on other people's podcasts instead. If I can if I can get to go on other people's podcasts, that'll be my my outlet because I do love doing radio. Right. Like I grew up doing radio. I started in college radio when I was a teenager. So I love talking. I love this whole thing on the microphone talking. You know, I like your microphone by the way. What are those nunchucks? No, what's that? A, a brass knuckles? These nunchucks. are it's the only sponsor, Tom. Brass yeah. knuckle microphone. These are uh, mic knuckles made. By the singer from Rat, Stephen Piercy. Damn. He gave me these Damn. when he came on. That's so cool. That'd be cool for stand-up. Th yeah, they're just microphone holders. Very and, intimidating. Uh, it's like, you know, don't heckle me or I will punch you in the face with my brass knuckles. Well, they'd probably be more intimidating if they weren't hot pink. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it's counterintuitive. But see, I like not talking a lot. Yeah. And... Like someone like you who's who's been successful in the business for almost 30 years. Yeah. yeah you got I, a lot of stories. I love that too. I love that too. But I, 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 I ran out of people to talk to. So, the, so when I was talking to like the same person again, it was weird asking the same stories again and stuff, you know. But we did phone in on my show. So that was one thing I would do to kind of keep it, you know, if I was had the same person there again, I'd interviewed him three times before. Right. We would just fuck with the callers and stuff, you know? See, I like having people... I lose a lot of interviews because no one wants to come to my house because they don't know who I am uh -huh. for the most part. You got the number two podcast. I, 
that helps. Yeah. Uh, but like the number two podcast, they better damn well know who you are. Well, now they might. But, you know, like when I would reach out to say Gene Simmons from Kiss, yeah. I'm sure he was he's never really gotten back to me, to be honest. But yeah, I'm sure he's like, who the, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to go on David Letterman or, you know, uh, Jimmy Fallon. Not not this guy's part. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't know what a podcast is. Uh, like people like of your fame level, his fame level. People still don't know what a podcast is. I asked Ron Jeremy the other night, would he come on? Because I. Just his history and, and not just porn, but uh, the entertainment 50 years. Uh, and he just looked at me and was like, what's a podcast? Really? Yeah. I think he might have been joking, though, a little bit. Oh, no. I don't. I, I know when someone's doing shtick with me. He yeah. Was, he was not. Uh, wow. So. Well, it's amazing. You know, I, 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 um, I guess, I guess, you know, people, some people are very media literate. Some people are just are living back in the seventies still, you know. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think people uh, realize that podcasts now are the new talk shows. Essentially, yeah. I mean, once again, you were on the uh, the forefront of a a new media. I think they've kind of like, in some ways, like not to you know be uh, negative, but like I think the internet has ruined television in a lot of ways. In, in, you know, in the sense that, like, you know, when I used to wait for David Letterman to come on, it was on at 12.30, and you didn't know what he was going to do, and you'd tune in, and you knew that everybody was going to be talking about it at school the next day, all yeah. the kids that liked Letterman, which was a lot of them, you know, and, you know, did you see what Letterman did last night? Did you see what Letterman did last night? And the tension that would build... For Letterman himself, for the host of the show, or for Johnny Carson, throughout the day, as they were getting ready to do their show, because there's a huge budget and huge, all these eyes on them, created an energy that was just like not really being replicated now in the internet, where you know, you know, we know a lot of people are listening, but it's like it is fragmented now. So it's like, you know, you don't feel like you're part of something when you watch content on the internet as much because you feel like well you're not gonna be taught if you can share it with somebody and then talk about it hey listen to this right but it's not like it's part of you know there's not really any shows anymore even on television that are really kind of part of the daily fabric of our society like even like the big talk shows kimmel colbert fallon it's not like it was back when johnny carson was on the air and 30 million people were watching every night and then you would you'd leave the house and everybody in the stores and the schools and the work would be talking about wow did you see burt reynolds last night on carson and everyone was talking about it and um and there was such a craft that went into it you know because you had like you know hundreds of producers on those shows you know or dozens of producers and they would they would be orchestrate, you know, all the content in such a way on a daily basis where it was just so, you know, you know, artistic and beautifully put together in a way that was, you know, I think we're just missing that now a little bit, you know? Well, I think there's just too much of everything. Like, I mean, I know when you like say when you first got on MTV to have a stand up special was like a big deal. Yeah, like that's I, I don't I don't want to jump on the that but it's like you know there's so many stand-up specials now you know that's it's fine you know 
Uh, I did one a few years ago. Uh, you know, uh, where can people f- watch it? I don't even know if they can watch it right now. It was for Showtime. It was on Netflix at one point. I don't think it's on there right now. It's weird. I did that special though about a year and a half after I started touring again. So I, I'm looking forward to doing another one because it's been about you know it's been about seven years or something like that right. since I shot that. So I, I, I literally starting to touring touring again has literally been like the the probably this single greatest personal decision for myself that I've made in my adult life to start going back and doing stand up again. I started doing stand up when I was 16 years old at uh, Yuck Yucks in Ottawa, and I would go down to the club and I would watch. Norm MacDonald and Harland Williams and Jeremy Hotz and uh, comedians from Canada that were headlining comedians but had not yet made it in the United States. Right. And I would be, you know, just a kid there watching. I started doing amateur night and I did stand up there until I was about 20. Um, I stopped doing it when I went back to school and studied broadcasting and all that. I kind of stopped doing stand up. But it was always kind of the root of what my TV show was, was like sort of rooted in, you know, that, that idea, that kind of energy, you know, like taking what I would do and what you would do on stage with stand up, go out on the street with a microphone and sure. with people. But uh, I, I probably also one of my regrets in life, I don't, I try not to say I have huge regrets or to dwell on regrets because that'll drive you crazy, which it has done, but now it ceases to do because i've stopped doing it but for many years was very crazy thinking about things that i regretted i would say to young people out there young meaning people in their 30s who are probably like if you're in your 30s you're probably hitting that stage where maybe you're like regretting stuff that you did in your 20s right and if you're in your 40s you're probably regretting stuff that you did in your 30s but i would say that like by 45 you got to stop regretting stuff that you did in your thirties and your twenties because like, you don't got a lot of time left. Like, so just enjoy the next, the next 20 years because that's it, you know? And I think probably the biggest thing to regret is really wasting too much time dwelling on the past. That's probably the biggest thing to regret. But I also did regret actual regrets, uh, that I stopped doing stand up. I mean, if I had been doing stand-up when my show was on MTV, I mean, it would have been just ridiculous. You know, I would have been able to go out and just, you know, uh, I would have had a lot of fun doing that, I think. But, uh, you know, live and learn, you know, live and learn. I'm glad I I'm, I'm glad I got back into it again 10 years later. I mean, was it because you got, uh, I mean, I know you weren't necessarily an overnight success, but you, you kind of got famous, like, pretty fast. Do you lose the drive to want to do a weekend at Yuck Yucks and? No, I mean, look. If I if I when my show was on MTV, I went and did one stand-up show in Florida at the at the university, and nineteen thousand people came. Okay, it was at the Gainesville, Florida basketball stadium. Right? Wow! And they asked me to come out and give a speech for the school. You know, talk about my cancer, and I basically wrote a stand-up set. And, 19,000 people came. I got video of, I should put it up on Instagram. It's crazy. It was insane. So, you know, I just kind of think that like the, the show was so big on MTV at the time that if I had been doing stand up, it would have been pretty astronomical, you know, like the, the, the sort of amount of, you know, that's the thing, but you know, I, I don't, I don't really think, 
I mean, I love doing stand-up to 500 people in a comedy club. I love doing it to 19,000 people in a, in a, in a, in a stadium, you know, um, it's probably more fun doing it to 500 people in a comedy club. To be Cause honest. it's a little more, I mean, 19,000 people, I would imagine outside the first 10 rows, you almost don't even see faces. Like, yeah. And it's just like, everyone's yelling and they're cheering and they're not really hearing the nuances of the material. So you can't really like get into something. It's a lot of like, you know, it's, it's just, it's just a little more difficult to like just kind of riff, you know, you got to have probably some very solid bits that are designed to connect with people who are, you know, 200 yards away from you in the nosebleed section. So you can't just sort of do some crowd work or just start, you know, talking about, uh, you know, some simpler things, you know, it's got to be kind of a little more high energy. I know it's fun. Obviously it was fun too doing that, but I love touring. I mean, I'm, I'm playing, you know, mostly clubs right now. Um, and, uh, and, uh, you know, I've gotten to play in every city in the country pretty much and uh, all over the world. I just toured, I just did Israel. I just did all of England, Scotland, Ireland. Uh, I have a Asian tour coming up in uh, next year. I'll be in Hong Kong, Tokyo, uh, Shanghai, Singapore, uh, Vietnam, somewhere in Vietnam, Hanoi. No. Where do you do comedy Saigon. in Vietnam? Saigon, Saigon. Like, is there a, a comedy club? Or? Just out in the jungle. They just put you out in the jungle. No, I don't know. Yeah, it's like, I think it's a lot of, there's a promoter over there that brings some American acts over. And so it'll be in a club or a theater. Yeah. And do you just your material? Like, I would imagine, like if I went to Vietnam or, you know, somewhere far away and did a Miami vice joke, they, they'd be like, what's that? Like to you? Well, that's my first tour of Asia, but let's, let's say if you put that on like England or Australia, they probably all know what my Miami vice is in England and Australia. So, but there are certain references you'll notice. The good thing is when you go over to a place like Australia or, or the UK and you do a tour, you, you know, and you've got your material and you've got your jokes, you've got your set that you're basically doing. You pretty much know the first night, oh, they don't know what Miami Vice is. Right. And then you just don't say the Miami Vice joke the next night, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah. So it's like, oh, they don't know what the Sears catalog is in Melbourne. Okay. And you ask them, what, what, what's the department store here, right. you know? And then you maybe change the reference or just don't do the joke. Yeah. Now, what's your general writing process like because you know as someone on your fame level you know when i used to open up for rob schneider you know he could have said anything yeah. like and people were just like happy to see him happy to see you because you, you know people would yell out hey so you can do it in your case lines from road trip or freddie got fingered i mean i you think that works for about the first seven minutes like you can coast off of the energy of people being excited to see you for maybe five to seven minutes. Right. But then if you don't have jokes, then it, it's not good. I'm, I've never really, ex I've always had jokes right. ready, but like I've seen shows of other people who are in movies and who didn't do stand up before and started doing stand up, and, you know, it was really exciting for the first seven minutes. And then it sort of got a little uncomfortable, you know, like they run out of steam yeah, and then people leave and say, Oh, that wasn't really very good. 
you know, so you, you, you want to be careful not to, to do that, you know, cause it's, I actually purposely start with my, what I consider to be my weakest material. Um, you know, I used to not do that when I was sort of started touring again, I thought oh, I better start with my best material, but then you kind of go, well, well, when, where do you go from there? Right. So, so, you know, if you come out, you got a lot of energy, the crowd's excited. You're walking out on stage. Everyone's excited that you're there and you open with what you consider to be, you know, just something funny, a funny anecdote about touring or about, you know, yourself, not your strongest, funniest, most, you know, observational, hilarious, you know, thing, you know, but, but just something fun. You'll get a great laugh, you know, cause everyone's just excited. And then, uh, then you just kind of keep going, you know, with sort of casual stuff during that first five seven minutes when people are having a great time, they're just excited to see you. You get big laughs with some of the sort of simpler, more subtle material. And then when, when you feel that energy start to dip, then I, then I move into more sort of, you know, uh, cutting stuff. Right. Right. And, and like when I write, I have to have mass distractions on, I'm listening to iTunes. When you write, Yes. You asked me about what, how I write. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I'll have MSNBC on just cause I, I find them so funny with their almost utter hatred of Trump. It, it, it's kind yeah. of funny to me. Yeah. Uh, do you have to be in a quiet space? Or? Lately, I don't really sit down and write like to think of ideas. I'll sit down and write to organize ideas that I've already thought of that I've just made notes about in my phone, basically. So most of the ideas themselves come just throughout my life, you know, and, and if you're out with friends and you're having some fun and you're laughing with your friends and you make a joke and everybody laughs, you think, yeah, that is actually kind of, that is kind of clever what I just said. Right. I think I'm going to write that down in my notepad on my phone. And then, you know, once every couple of weeks I go back and I sit down actually at a, at a desk with my computer and I go through the notes and I, kind of type up the ones that still seem funny, you know, right. when you're looking at it weeks later. And then once I have done that, and let's say I got like, you know, 20 new ideas that I've typed up, you know, then I'll probably, you know, bounce them off a couple of buddies, see what they think. And then uh, maybe narrow it down to like, you know, five or 10 new ideas. And then I'll just start, saying I'm on stage. Right. And then usually, usually if they make it through that process, they're usually pretty funny by the time I say I'm on stage. And then this, so the first time you say it, it's usually like, I can usually tell, okay, if the joke's going to work or not, you'll get a, even if it doesn't get a huge laugh the first time, if just, I can tell just by the, the rhythm of it and, and, and you know, that it's, it's, it's connecting. And that's usually the third time I tell the joke right. that it actually works like for real, like at the level you want it to be at. So first time I tell the joke, I usually forget the punchline. Actually, I literally forget the punchline every time. Actually, I'll get up. I'll sell. I'll, I'll say the setup, you know, you know, I'll be like, you know, remember when you were a kid, you could tell who the other kids were, who were the children of alcoholics. <laughs> right. And then everyone will laugh at that. And then I'll forget the punchline because the punchline is like in that particular joke, I have a joke. I have a punchline for that. It's kind of like a 
very specifically worded punchline. A lot of my punchlines, I really worry about every single word and the rhythm of the words, you know, which is, I think, a normal thing. But I don't tend to just go up and talk about stuff that I think are weird. I actually tend to try to, like, think of things that I think are weird, write out a setup and a punchline and write it in sort of a rhythmic pattern, you know? So, so if I, if I forget that rhythmic pattern, I can't really say the punchline. So, you know, the joke is, you know, remember when you were a kid, you could tell who the other kids were, who were the children of alcoholics based on the ones who carried their marbles to school in that purple velvet whiskey bag. (laughs) Right. Right. So, but if I, to me, I tried like, based on the kids who carried their marbles to school in that crown royal bag, crown royal bag, or in the crown royal whiskey bag, or the purple crown royal whiskey bag, or the purple crown royal bag, or the crown royal whiskey bag. Right. But then I've decided, or the crown royal velvet bag, you know, I I tied it like 20 times. I've just settled on it as purple velvet whiskey bag. Sure. Is the way to go. Like when you try out new jokes, do you like to... I mean, I don't see you going to an open mic per se, but like... Well, I I jump up at the store and uh, at the improv in town a lot. Yeah. Do you find it hard though to... Like Rogan said, like the comedy store is so amazing right now that you can't do new material there. Like, Yeah, I agree with that. I try... What I do is I slip in maybe one idea amongst... But I I do do more new material on the road because, you know, it's kind of like... It is intimidating getting up on stage at the comedy store. You got Joe Rogan just murdered it, right? Now you got to jump up on stage. So, you know, you don't want to jump up and try new material, you know? You know, it's like Bill Burr was just on the stage. Right. Like, you know, you know, Dane Cook was just on the stage. Harland Williams was just on the stage. You know, like uh, all these amazing, incredible, you know, brilliant people are jumping up at the comedy store and now all of a sudden you're jumping up between spots. So you go like, well, I... I better bring my A game here, but you know when I I I bring I, I like to I like to write on the road. Actually, I even sometimes have a section on my show where I write. But usually, what I do is I just slip in, I slip in new ideas between set jokes. Sure. Yeah. And I then, mean, it's very scary to be on the lineup. I try not to do like ten new ideas in a row. Right. You know, I'll do one or two new ideas, then I'll get back to some tested material. And maybe I'll try a couple more. You know, I'm, I'm generally only really working on one or two new ideas at a time anyways, you know. Because you already have a, an hour that you know works. Yeah, yeah. I probably got like, you know, a few hours of material that I know works. You right. Know? And I kind of like, I'm always kind of like shuffling it around. And then, and then I'm adding new stuff into that bin of stuff, you know. Right. Like if you're in Canada, you might do a hockey joke. that. Maybe- yeah, I got like a lot of Canadian jokes that work in Canada that wouldn't make any sense down here. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're in Jacksonville, you might yeah yeah you know do it different yeah like when i get up i I always like i've I've been touring uh you know the country enough the last you know 10 years or so now that i've basically been back to every city like i'm coming back to every city now for the fourth or the fifth time you know so so i've kind of got material about each city now you know like in cleveland i'll talk about some lebron james stuff you know right because i was there when they did the trade i was there when they did the lebron trade you know, and I was like, you know, so then you come back the year later and it's like you talk about how the year before they were burning Le- LeBron James jerseys in the streets last time I was here. And then and then they brought him back, you know, so then you're back the next year and now they love him again. You're like, well, it's kind of hard to see to unburn a jersey, you know, like, right. you know, and, you know, so just just sometimes just talking about some local stuff 
really makes people feel connected with you, you know? Now they hate them again. Yeah, exactly. It's hilarious. Because we have them. Yeah, it's hilarious. But I'm a hockey guy, so I was yeah. more excited that the Kings signed Kovalchuk, but yeah. nobody cared. You are like such a hockey guy, huh? It's cool. I'm Canadian. Like, I grew up playing hockey. You play hockey? Uh, look at all these trophies. Oh, yes. Of course, you play hockey, yeah. I have you a still, really hard shot. Do you still play? It's yes, because it's uh, you know this. I I know. What I are those trophies? Leading scorer trophies. But they're all the same trophy. They're from different seasons. But in a league here in L.A. In Garden Grove. Okay, because it looks like it's from a same. Because I got my hockey trophies out from when I was a kid, but they're all different because like different league or whatever. But well, the league's low budget, so I think they just get the same trophy and give you a different name. Damn, play. though, man. Uh, so nice, nice lot, nice trophies. What's the only non-comedy thing I do? I was, I was cool. Yeah, it's, it's a great thing. I had my uh, skates and full equipment on at the Golden Knights practice facility in Las Vegas, uh, like two weeks ago. There's a clip on my Instagram taking a slap shot, and it was probably the first time that I'd actually been back on the ice in about ten years. But I, uh, I was, I, I'm doing a, a comedy residency at Harrah's in Las Vegas. Oh, great. Yeah, I've been there for about a year now. And so once a month I'm at Harrah's. It was once a week at Bally's. Now I'm once a month at Harrah's. And uh, the Golden Knights obviously had an amazing season last year. And, uh, you know, I've uh, kind of struck up a bit of a friendship with some of the people at the Golden Knights uh, hockey and uh, went was down there. They... Uh, Lent me some equipment, and I laced up, and uh, it was pretty cool, you know? I mean, their GM is was probably uh, one of my favorite players as a kid. Yeah. Because he was a little guy. Yeah, yeah. By NHL standards. Yeah. And he would fight everybody. Yeah. You like the fighters, huh? Uh, yeah. I mean, I feel bad because a lot of these guys uh, aren't in good shape. Yeah. You, you know, in 2018, a lot of, you know, concussion problems. Tiger Williams yelled at me once. Where? Yeah, I, I thought he was—he was so mad that I thought he was actually going to punch me. And we were actually playing hockey, and I was on his team. That's how much I annoyed him. And I love Tiger Williams. I mean, I loved 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 his story, and I read his book and yeah, I, all that I stuff. And uh, and uh, you know, when you're a kid growing up playing hockey, he was a legendary guy. You know, who was known to be you know the 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 you know the enforcer and back when hockey was a lot different back then you know and uh and um i went to afghanistan to do stand-up with uh the canadian military because canadians are in afghanistan or were in afghanistan and uh and we went perform i performed for a u.s and canadian and coalition forces in kandahar and they on the canadian plane that brought me over was also a bunch of uh ex NHL hockey players like a whole whole like like who was there uh was it uh Ray Bork oh my god yeah uh, uh, and uh, uh Lanny McDonald with a mustache yeah yeah Lanny McDonald and uh and Tiger Williams and and uh many others many others this was about it was almost like 7 or 8 years ago but um so we played a game of pickup hockey in the middle of the base in Kandahar, in the main base, there's a big sort of central area where they have all the, you know, big sort of, you know, uh, gatherings and things like that for the troops. And all the shops are there for the troops to go to. It's, base is huge. Base is like a big, big thing, you know. 
it's a large base, but um, they have a stage there. And we we did we did a sh- I did my stand up show there, but then the next day they had a hockey rink they set out, not ice, but oh, I would say you know roller, you know you just just but they put boards up, they built boards, you know full boards, full hockey, U.S. military, right? Right. You know, like unlimited budget. You know, oh, call the Corps of Engineers, have them come out and build a hockey rink. You know, so they build, you know, I mean, it probably cost, you know, not that much money, but it was an actual hockey rink, you know, actual, like, you know, like white boards, perfect official size, you know, paved, you know, like, you know, smooth concrete. Yeah. And, um, you know, so we could have a hockey game. And so we, uh, we, we played hockey and then like, you know, I was, it was the, some of the military guys playing the NHL guys. And I was on the NHL guys team. Cause I was the one guy who was there who was not an NHL guy. I was the, I was the comedian, but I was there with the tour. So I played with them, but of course I suck. Right. Cause I'm not a professional hockey player. So they, and Tiger Williams was the coach. So Andy was playing. So he sends me out, go out. You know, and the thing you forget is like when you were a kid playing road hockey, like you would play, you know, you just go play. You weren't doing like a 30 second shift change, you know, right. like, so I go out and I've been, I've been there for 30 seconds. I haven't even like done anything yet. And I guess he started yelling green, green, green. You get off shift, shift. I didn't know what he was yelling about. So I just kept playing. I was having fun playing. And then finally I turn, he's like red faced and screaming (laughs) at me. And I go, what's he so mad about? You know, I go over and he's like, you're supposed to get off the fucking ice when I call you (laughs) off the fucking ice. He looked like he was going to deck me. So I was like, geez, man chill tiger you know <laughs> but you know it was cool we he was it was fine i mean how cool people, is it people have tempers it was cool to get yelled at by uh, tiger williams for for doing something like that that you guys to play hockey yeah. in afghanistan oh yeah yeah it was it was amazing it was an amazing experience to be over there and support i like to support the military you know my father was in the canadian army he went to vietnam and uh, cyprus with the united nations uh, when I was a kid, so he was gone on, you know, these tours and stuff. And, uh, you know, so, um, you know, it's like uh, I, grew, I lived on military bases in Canada before I stopped, before I lived in Ottawa when I was seven, when I was younger, you know, four, five, six years old, we were living on different army bases. You know, like literally like every kid at school, their parents were in the army. You'd walk to school. There were tanks going by on the way to school. You thought like, you felt like you were in a war, but like we weren't in a war because it was the eighties and we're Canada, you know? Right. In the seventies, really the seventies, really, you know, growing up in the seventies on CFB Petawawa. So look that up. That's a real thing. All right. Well, that's a good time to uh, cut the Instagram live All right, Instagram, feed. Follow me on Instagram, Tom green or on Twitter at Tom green live or on Facebook. Awesome. Tom, Tom's the best. We're going to talk for a little bit more, you know, so. Yeah. Go to so, iTunes to listen to the rest. See, go listen to my podcast, too. Uh, it's on uh, iTunes and TomGreen.com. Yeah, please. Tom's one of the best. He didn't have to come down here. Uh, we're going to talk for a few more minutes just because uh, Tom's a good guy, and you got to go to iTunes to listen to the rest. Awesome. Now, what I found amazing about Canada is on 9-11. Yeah when there was probably still 50 planes on the air yeah in the air yeah canada got them all yeah like i thought wow that's a great country to we at that time we didn't know what was going on because they were coming over from europe 
So they landed in, I think, Gander, Newfoundland. And I thought, like the furthest east. They really are our ally. Sure, yeah, sure, of course we are. I mean, to sit there and, you know, there could have been bombs on those planes at that time. No one knew what was going on. Sure, sure. Uh, So lots of I think the saddest thing, not to get political, but the saddest thing for me as a Canadian about the Trump presidency and what's going on right now, maybe it's not the saddest thing, but something that bothers me is that there is this sort of subtle sort of feeling amongst this sort of Fox News channel watching demographic that like Canada's like, you know, I think people are now like hearing about Canada for the first time and thinking there's some sort of a negative thing there. I had a guy yell out, Justin Trudeau sucks at one of my shows in Las Vegas. Who's the prime minister. Yeah. yeah. I, I said to the guy, sir, uh, I, I know, you know, cause we just had the G7 summit and there was a little tiff between Trump and Trudeau and it was on Fox news. So somebody felt they should yell out, Justin Trudeau sucks. Right. And I said, sir, you know, I've, I've been living in the United States for 20 years. I've never met an American that knows the name of our prime minister let alone thinks he sucks. Right. I was like proud and offended at the same time, you know? But, um, but yeah, so it's like Canada, of course we're an ally, you know? I mean, I think the only Canadian, uh, a lot of Americans know the same Justin is Bieber. Yeah, exactly. We got Justin Bieber. We got Justin Trudeau. So, Justin Williams, because I'm a hockey guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of Justins these days. I don't know what that's all about. Popular name. Uh, I can name all the presidents of the United States. Starting from Washington? Starting, yes. Really? I would start there because he's the first one, but yeah. Yeah, I can name them all if you'd like me to. You know, uh, as you can tell, Tom, I don't plan any questions. Yeah. yeah. I would love it right now if you okay. named. I will name all the presidents. George Washington, right? Absolutely. John Adams, right? Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, James Monroe, John Quincy Adams, Andrew Jackson, One second. Take uh, your time. Yeah, wait. I, I'm I'm not sure why I'm mixed up here. George Washington. Andrew, uh, sorry, I got to Andrew Jackson. Now is it uh, Millard Fillmore? I'm gonna look up the list. Yes. Shit, I'm having fucking this. It's up. all good. It's the, go. You go to the list, and I'll start again. So I was on your Wikipedia page. Now I'm gonna jump over. Go to the list. I'll start again. I'm a one man operation. I just got messed up there. I I, I do know them all. I just need to take a, a beat and think about this. Go to the list. If I get it wrong, tell me it's wrong, and then I'll tell you the right one, okay? Okay, hold on. I might need to, I might need to cheat a little bit. Take, take your time. Okay. okay, we'll start again. Okay, you got the list? Um, yes. Okay. George Washington. John Adams. Yeah, correct. Thomas Jefferson. Yes. James Madison. Yes. James Monroe. Yes. John Quincy Adams. Yes. Andrew Jackson. Yes. Uh, if you get this next one, I'll be amazed. Uh, Martin Van Buren, right? <laughs> yes. William Henry Harrison. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, John Tyler. Yes. Uh, now we're into uh, 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 I'm Millard Fillmore. 
Um, no. No, 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 no. Wait, John Tyler. Wait, wait, wait. John Tyler. <sighs> Crazy. Why am I not getting this? John Tyler. Yes. Uh, Ulysses S. Grant. Uh, no. Shit. Why? Am I, wait, 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 wait. This is embarrassing. No, it's not. John Tyler. So you're 10 in. Mm, I haven't done this in a while, so I used to be able to do this. I'm impressed that you got to the 10 you got to. Yeah, wait wait a second, though. There's no shame in tapping out. John Tyler. It's not... It's not Millard Fillmore. No. It's not Ulysses S. Grant. Nope. This is shocking to me that I don't know this one. I, uh... Who is the... 11th president of the United States. It's a, definitely a uh, lesser known. Yeah. Like you never really hear this guy's yeah, yeah. name mentioned. It, it's, uh, I, 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 he was the governor of Tennessee. Oh, okay, let's see. John Tyler. Give me 11. Do you want the guy's name? Yeah, give me 11, yeah. James K. Polk. Oh, right. And then it's Zachary Tyler. Taylor. Zachary Taylor, yeah. James K. Polk, you're right. Yeah, he was... Ah, shit, I'm embarrassed. It's all good. Okay, then it's James K. Polk. Then it's Zachary Taylor. Yes. Then it's Millard Fillmore. Correct. Then it's Franklin Pierce. Yes. Then it's... uh, James Buchanan. Yes. Then it's Abraham Lincoln. Then it's Andrew Johnson. Then it's Ulysses S. Grant. Then it's Rutherford B. Hayes. Then it's James Garfield. Then it's Grover Cleveland. No, no. Uh, uh, No, no. Wait, wait, wait. What am I up to, James Garfield? You are at number 21. Yes, you're up to Garfield. Garfield. The 20th president. Then it's... Um, it's uh, not Grover Cleveland, huh? He's in one more. Yeah, then it's... Because Gro- after that, it's Grover Cleveland, Benjamin Harrison, Grover Cleveland again. What and was then the- William McKinley. But I'm missing... Um, I mean, what was the Dudley Moore movie? The Rich Guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Arthur, was it? Yes. Am I missing? Who's, the, who's that president? Who's Chester that? A. Arthur. Chester A. Arthur. Come on, man. Damn it. Chester A. Arthur. Got to refresh my memory, yeah. That's Chester A. Arthur. Uh, uh, Grover Cleveland. Yes. Benjamin Harrison. Grover Cleveland again. William McKinley. Then we're up into uh, number twenty-six. Or up to uh, Theodore Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, Big fat guy. Yeah, William Howard Taft. Yes. Um, Woodrow Wilson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Warren. G. Harding, 
and then uh, Calvin Coolidge. Yes. And then you would have yourself a uh, uh, maybe our first cross-dressing president. Is this, is this Franklin Delano Roosevelt? No, it's uh, it's uh, Calvin Coolidge. He, is uh, that at Hoover then? Yes. Yeah, yeah Hoover, Herbert Hoover. And then it's uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And then it gets easy after this. But uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, then it's um, uh, Truman, mm-hmm. Henry Truman. Then you've got yourself a uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower. And then JFK. Yes. And then um, Lyndon Johnson. Richard Nixon, Gerald Ford. Um, sometimes if I go too fast here, I mix it up. But Gerald Ford, um, Ronald Reagan. Yeah, no, yeah. no, Jimmy Carter. Yes. Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, George Bush, Barack Obama, and Hillary Clinton. Okay. I didn't get them all. I didn't get them all. That, but to be a Canadian and name yeah. the U.S., I, mean, I couldn't name I just me. have to refresh my memory. Chester A. Arthur threw me for a loop for some reason today. And and then why was it that I didn't remember the 11th was, uh, who was the 11th again? The 11th was, uh, I think, Polk. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just got, I just, I just, I just, that was a brain fart. I know it's James K. Polk. That was the Mexican-American War. Zachary... Zachary Taylor was a big general. So was James K. Polk, I think. They were both kind of like heavy into that shit. <laughs> That's, I'm very impressed. I'm trying to learn my American history. And I figured that one of the best ways to do it was try to learn who all the presidents were and what they did. So I don't really know everything about all of them, but I know something about some of them. So yeah. let's put it that way. Now, how many prime ministers has Canada had? 26. Can you name them all? I'm not asking you to. But. I think I probably can, yeah. Who was the one before Trudeau? Before the current right. Trudeau? Uh, before the current Trudeau was, uh, was it Stephen Harper? Yeah. Stephen Harper. Who was the one in the 80s? Because I would always see him at all the Montreal Trudeau. Canadian games. Trudeau was in the 80s. Okay. Uh, Justin's father, Pierre Elliott Trudeau. Oh, wow. Yeah. Who was essentially one of our... Uh, Great prime ministers, depending on who you ask. Obviously, it's always like that, even in Canada. He was pri- he was prime minister for 14 years, Trudeau. Right. So, you know, because we don't have term limits in Canada. Do you, What do you think is better, to have term limits or to not? I think it's better to not have them, actually. Because there's only so many good people, you know. So if, if everybody likes the person, why get rid of them? They probably only, like, figure out their job by the time they've been there, and there for eight years anyways. Right. Finally, they're actually getting shit done, and then they get kicked out and get replaced by somebody who doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. You might say that about the uh, White House right now. Yeah. Who knows? It's still a democracy, right? As soon as they're not doing a good job, people can kick them out, you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not very political, but I'm fascinated by uh, just the... I don't think I've ever seen uh, this country be so divided. Yeah. So like the the midterm elections coming up, I, I'm just fascinated by. I always wonder like if that's true though. Like, you know, it's like, it's so divided right now. It's so divided. But like, you know, they were like, you know, during the civil rights movement, they were like burning down cities and shooting people and people were getting, you know, everyone was 
so many people got assassinated, right? As you know, as we know. So I mean, you know, that was pretty divided time, right? Oh, I mean, America's. I guess it's been divided for a while. It just seemed like even with with Reagan and Bush, yeah. It, you know, even Democrats didn't dig them; they yeah. tolerated them. Yeah, in our lifetime, it's the most divided. Uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, our lifetime. Maybe it is the most divided ever, though. It's the internet, man. I blame the internet. I blame the internet for a lot of things. Like because, it, like before, like if you had an opinion about something, like you know, you know, you could, even if it, like even if it was wrong, you know, if you said your opinion to ten people and it was totally wrong, well, it wouldn't get any traction. But now you say your opinion that's totally wrong on the internet, there's going to be like a million people that agree with you. So now you got a million people collectively angry about something that's totally wrong. But that's like a lot of people, you know? Oh, for sure. That would never happen before. A wrong idea would never get traction before because it just had no means of spreading, you know? I mean, I think the internet is the best and the worst thing to ever happen. Oh, yeah. Me too, actually, yeah. Like, you know, you... Like I research jokes, you can go online, look up, you know, whatever I'm trying to joke about. Or like when you were coming on, I was like, okay, let me just look. I mean, I know a lot about you, but let me yeah. see if I can pick up some uh, things yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, but then like it ruined my love of pro wrestling. Yes. Yeah. It broke down the wall of, oh, Kamala's not really from Uganda. <laughs> He's from Philadelphia. You thought wrestling was we real before the internet? Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. And he, there, I mean, there were signs, uh, you know, like there was a wrestler when I was growing up uh, by the name of Eddie Gilbert, and one of the matches he broke his neck, uh -huh. you know, allegedly. And then the next week he was wrestling again. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> his recovery ability. Tough guy, yeah. You got to be strong to wrestle, yeah. And then, you know, I thought Kamala, who was my favorite, you know, he came to the ring in a grass skirt with the moon on his stomach and he would pound his stomach to communicate and uh and then i met him and he he spoke perfect english and <laughs> he's like hey i'm jim i'm like uh. i literally was like what are you doing speaking english yeah 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 he's like, oh, i'm from south carolina i'm like oh fuck but like now you can look up you know if you like pro wrestling you, you could look up someone who's being billed as from parts unknown and go, oh, they're from San Diego. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of ruined. Yeah. Kind of makes it better too, though, in a way, because it's hilarious. But then like, uh, you know, like I did a Comedy Central show called Roast Battle. Yeah. Where I beat uh, Jimmy Carr, who's just very, very. Yeah. I think I was actually there in the audience in Montreal when you did that. I think you were. Yeah, I was. Yeah. But, it, you know, I was so excited to go online and go, hey, I wonder what my fans thought. Not that I have like a ton of fans, but like the few. Number I two podcast on iTunes. Well, my, who so, knows? Maybe I got a shot at Rogan now yeah, with you on. Yeah. yeah because uh, I think fans. people like seeing someone of your stature in the entertainment business. Like, oh, my God, he's on this idiot's couch. That's pretty cool. Like well, they're used to seeing you on Kimmel. It's or, a nice couch. It's, it's a nicer really couch than... Uh, You'll find on any late night talk this show. This is a nice couch. It's a giant couch. I've had it for 21 years. Wow, really? It's a, It definitely is a very... I bet you it looks like it does all sorts of stuff, too. That folds... If, you, if you're tired, I can fold that out into the yeah. bed. No, it looks like it could. I don't need to lie down, but yeah. Um, but like with the internet and movies, like, uh, like I myself haven't been to a movie theater 
It, uh, I think the last movie I saw was in 2015, yeah. the, the Star Wars movie. Oh, your TV is the size of a movie screen. <laughs> Why leave home? Yeah, you got a couch that, that turns into a, a recliner. Um, you don't need to go to a movie theater. But do you think that hurts movies actually getting made to be put in theaters, like with Netflix and Hulu? and like- I think so, yeah. I also think that, like, I mean, I'll speak for myself, but I'm on Instagram a lot. I, like, love watching, like, cats tumbling downstairs and, uh, you know, chasing, you know, to cats playing with dogs and like all that crap that you go, this is how stupid is it that we're watching cat videos? But like, I was watching some video this morning, like I was, you know, just scrolling through and they all come up. I'm like, w- spend like 10 minutes watching like, uh, like, uh, uh, some kids like wrestling a boa constrictor off of their dog in Central America, so South America somewhere. You know, and then like, a, a, you know, a, a honey badger taking on a lion, you know, I didn't know that honey badgers would take on a lion, you know, uh, the, the the most fearless animal, the honey badger. I didn't know that, you know, I wouldn't learn that on at the movie theater, but, um, but like, uh, you know, you spend so much time on your phone looking at stuff that when you, by the time you set it down, do you really want to go to a movie and look at more stuff? And then you got to sit in the movie theater and then you can't look at your phone for an hour and a half because you're in the movie theater. So like, you know, I think it's just like you only have a certain amount of screen time that your brain really needs. And once we're because we're on our screen so much now, people don't want to go to the movies before as much. And the other thing that happened was like before, like when it was TV and movies, you know, 20 years ago, you know, TV was shot on video and video looked shitty back then. It wasn't high def it's like all pixelated it was shitty but then you go to the movie and the movie was shot in film so it looked like really clear and good quality and amazing and huge budgets and all that and the and the, the effects budgets effects are so much cheaper now so the tv shows and the youtube videos they have the same effects as in the you know jerry bruckheimer blockbuster you know you know you can a youtube video can have a big explosion in it you know so it's kind of like they've all kind of merged into the same kind of content and there's so much of it and we're watching it so much seems like there's a little bit less special about going to a movie theater now which is unfortunate because it was fun going to the movie theater but that's the only thing i think that really is doing well now in the movies are these giant blockbusters you know but I, they're starting to almost lose their, uh, you know, like The Rock's last few movies haven't quite done as well as his first few. And yeah, people are just kind of like overwhelmed. So much media, you see, you see so much stuff all day. You, do we really need to go see another, you know, flickering image, you know? I just, but I do miss, like you said, the fun of like, I have so many childhood memories of like, I remember 1987, I saw Predator. Yeah. And it was just like... I'll never forget. It was in Westwood. and It's possible just because we're getting older too. Like things lose their luster. When you've done things a lot, it's less exciting. So maybe kids still love going to the movies. I don't know. I think it's yeah. just they've grown up, like you say, with smartphones yeah. where they can look up their... Yeah. I mean, you can watch porn on a smartphone. Yeah. Now. yeah. Why do we have to go sit in a, in a room with other people to watch a movie? And that's why I, I, even in our world of stand-up, like, which is why the comedy store is still so amazing to me because it's packed every night. You know, people are getting lazy and, you know, like, why leave your home, pay $20 to park, whatever it is to get in where you can just turn on Joe Rogan's special on Netflix. Yeah. 
The thing is, I, 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 I almost don't even want to do another special. Like, because I, I don't really think stand-up really plays on television. Like it, you don't, it's, it's good. If you understand what you're watching, it's funny. I get it. It's funny. If you watch a great stand-up comedian special, it's funny, but it's way funnier being in the crowd, feeling the energy of the sure. crowd, feeling the laughs all around you, you know, seeing the person right there, the nervousness of what if they talk to me, like, that's what stand-up comedy is all about. You know, I mean, I think it's good because, like, all these specials are actually probably going to, like, add more people's to people's interest in stand-up comedy. But, like, I just hope that doesn't happen because people aren't really experiencing stand-up comedy when you watch it on TV. You got to go sit in a club and, and, and be part of it, you know? Well, I tell people that, it, you know, seeing stand-up live versus TV is like watching hockey. Like, yeah. Hockey on TV is, you know, it's okay. Yeah. You can... You can somewhat feel the excitement but you see that same game live and it's like wow yeah 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 it's it's just it's it's not like it's not like being there i don't know i just uh i uh i can watch like maybe about maybe about 10 minutes of a comedy special anybody's like the best comedy special right now you know and i'll be i'll watch 10 minutes of it and then I'll, okay because you want to do it yeah i yeah. would imagine like yeah. i'm like it's hard for me to watch stand-up because I want to do it. Yeah, I, I guess don't want to see it. what this is. I just sometimes I like to check them out, see what people are doing and stuff. But I can't really watch an hour of it myself. You know, I'd, I I can watch an hour of it in a club though. I, I'd love to watch it or in a theater. I'd love to watch it live. You know, right? Yeah. I mean, I just uh, it's hard for me to watch something that I want to do. Like, I also also the thing that's sort of weird to me lately is like when you watch stand up, it's weird. It's like you start to realize. Man, there's not really that much to talk about, is there? Because if you watch, you know, five comedy specials, you know, everybody's talking about the same shit. And then it's like, you know, different punchlines, obviously, different take on things. But it's like, you know, I'll, I'll be watching, you know, and I'll go, oh, he's talking about rotary dial phones. I already have a bit about rotary dial phones. You know, we're both about the same age probably both thought of talking about rotary dial phones. Can I not talk about rotary dial phones anymore because another person's talking about rotary dial phones or he's talking about like, you know, uh, Instagram, you know, Oh shit. It's sort of a similar take on Instagram. And then you start realizing, man, there's really only really like probably 10 things to think about, to talk about, you know, yeah, sex I mean. relationships, porn, Instagram, uh, cell phones and, uh, politics, politics and, you know, growing up in the seventies or something. That's all there is to talk about in the whole world. There's nothing else to talk about other than that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe, it's all maybe been... there's a bit more. I just find it irritating though. When I watch stand up, cause inevitably you're going to see someone doing a premise that's similar to a premise you're doing. Cause the other thing is you could, there's only most people in the audience, you know, they, 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 you get too obscure and then nobody's connected with you anymore. You got to talk about stuff, about stuff that people care about and people only care about a certain amount of things, you know? 
So I try not to watch too much stand-up, actually, because I, I find it annoying because I'll see somebody talking about something that I'm talking about, and then I feel like I can't talk about it anymore. So if I just don't watch it, then, then I don't have to worry about it. See, I'm trying to find that happy medium because, you know, I'm very much in agreement with you. Like, you, there's only so much you can talk about that, you know, you're not going to talk about, that Rogan's not going to talk about. So I try and bridge the gap of maybe talking about an obscure metal band. That yeah. No, nobody's going to know. Yeah. But they'll laugh at my enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah. Of the subject. No one's doing a joke about Rat in 2018. Right, yeah. Pretty much but me. yeah. Or not a lot of hockey jokes out there. Yeah, you're cornering the rat joke market. Well, <laughs> well, but it, you might end up getting a whole bunch of aging, uh, you know, uh, hairband uh, fans coming out to your shows, right? You know? Well, it, it, it's <laughs> I do, yeah, because they're like, this guy's going to do a Vinnie Vincent joke, <laughs> who was an obscure guitar player in Kiss, who's now. Uh, a lot of people think is transitioning into a woman. Yeah. This is the thing I love about doing stand up though, is because when you go when I when I tour playing comedy clubs, like, you know, and I don't know if everyone knows this, but when I play in a comedy club, like you're playing to your own fans. I'm playing to my own fans, but I'm also playing to people that just like that comedy club. Right. So you get like a mixture of people there. I'll have people in the audience that don't know every line from Freddie Got Fingered, you know? So you kind of have to, it's kind of a nice challenge to talk about like uh stuff that is appealing to everyone so you sort of have to walk that balance between like okay i want to talk about something that everything everybody relates to but i also don't want to you know i also want the show to be weird and i want to you know talk about something that nobody else is talking about it's a hard balance to fi to find sometimes that's 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 think that's the biggest challenge for me in stand-up, the thing I like to challenge myself with the most is trying to be as unique and original and obscure and strange as possible while still connecting with everybody. Right, you know? with the people who saw Road Trip, yeah. Freddie Got Fingered. Yeah, and the people that don't even know that stuff. You know, right. by the, you know, the middle-aged couple that came out to see some comedy and have some drinks with their friends or the office Christmas party that came out to see the show at uh, Hilarities in Cleveland, you know, and they're not, you know, they're not... Uh, they're not your, uh, the biggest, they don't maybe even know who I am. You know, I, I, I love the challenge of making normal people laugh, you know, real, right. real people laugh. So, yeah. All right. Well, Tom, I'm humbled and honored to have you on this. Thank show. You. I appreciate being here. Number two podcast in, in the world. I, it's an honor for me to be here. Thank you very much, man. Well, always good seeing you, man. But where are you? Uh, I know you got a, some tour dates coming up. Where can the fans? And I really beg of you guys. Tom did not ask me to say this, but he didn't have to come here. Uh, you know, he's got a lot of things he could do. He took the time out of his schedule to come. I want you to take the time out of your schedule to see Tom at thanks i'm at the tempe improv uh this weekend then i'm uh, in las vegas at harrow's casino i've got dates coming up in uh boston i'm at vinnie brands uh, uh i'm at the stress factory i'm at uh governors uh i'm up in rhode island i'm in burlington vermont toronto buffalo new york all coming up this year uh, also Kalamazoo, Michigan and Muskegon. Uh, I'm, I'm hitting all the spots. Uh, go to TomGreen.com and get my uh, tour dates and uh, I'll see you soon. And listen to his podcast. Yeah. TomGreen.com. You can listen to the podcast, get the tour dates. And one last question for you. Yeah. Because I'm fascinated by 
10 years ago, I don't think anyone would have seen Netflix taking over. Yeah. The entertainment medium. Yeah. Movie stars now doing TV shows like your yeah. road trip yeah. castmate. It's now in Lethal Weapon. Yes. Uh, yeah. Sean. Sean William Scott. Yeah. Which, you know, do you, where do you see the business in 10 years? Is there something out there that some man. kid is developing right now in his basement? Artificial intelligence, man. The show will probably happen like inside your brain or something. You know, I think it'll be more interactive too. And I think there's going to be a lot more like potentially more interactivity, audience participation, but, uh, artificial intelligence. Like maybe a TV show where at the end, like say the last five minutes, you can pick the ending from four endings. No, I'm thinking more like at the end of the show, like a hologram of the character crawls out of your TV and makes you lunch. <laughs> <laughs> that could happen. He literally walks into the kitchen and your fri and he like he's standing there, but then the fridge like, you know, makes you lunch. And then he's like standing there. It looks like he's making lunch, but the fridge like is like, you know, a fridge that can make lunch. And then he stands in front of the so like Sean William Scott walks out of the lethal weapon TV walks into the kitchen and says, Hey, what would you like for lunch? And then you say, I'd like some spaghetti and meatballs. And then he like makes it for you. And it's on your, it's on your counter. That's in 10 years from now. That's not that far fetched. Yeah, I believe it. I mean, I saw a concert called Dio's disciples where, uh, it was some of the members, uh, older members of, of Ronnie James Dio's actual band. Yeah. With the hologram of Dio. Yeah, exactly. I mean, think about it. Hologram walks out of the TV. The TV calls Grubhub, orders you spaghetti and meatballs. And then Sean William Scott, who just walked out of the lethal weapon thing, stands around in your ki in your living room with you for a minute, waiting for Grubhub to show up. When the doorbell rings, he the, the hologram walks up to the door. I guess you've got to open the door. Maybe the door's on an automatic hinge, you know? It's 10 years so, from now. So he sees the hand. The door opens. He electronically pays the Grubhub guy, who's probably a hologram of Sylvester Stallone, by the way. And uh, you're sitting around eating with all your favorite movie stars. Well, maybe one day I'm going to hologram you yeah. to make me spaghetti and meatballs. Yeah, that's my prediction for the future right there. Tom Green's the best. You're already fans of him, but support his comedy, his podcast. Tom Green is a good dude in this business. There's not many of his success level who are good dudes, believe me. <laughs> so become fans of his inappropriate Earl SoundCloud and iTunes. We'll see you next week with another guest. Probably not quite as good as Tom. No, no, it'll be awesome. It's always awesome. Number two on iTunes, man. Thanks, man. Oh.